and welcome to Gilmore Ball Z, a podcast where I show my husband Gilmore Girls, he shows me Dragon Ball, and we try to find some sort of common ground. I'm Paige. And I'm Grant. And today we watched Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 12, and Dragon Ball Z Kai, Episode 133. So Grant, what happened on Gilmore Girls? Oh, on Gilmore Girls we had... A Rory plot, a Lane plot, and a Lorelai and Luke plot, which is kind of the, the, the structure we've been with lately, I've realized. Uh, so as usual, I'm going to get the Lane plot out of the way first, because it's a Lane plot, so it doesn't matter. Uh, it's also really short. Basically, Zack turns up a couple times throughout the episode, and he's obviously just really uh, uh, downcast and upset and just like still grappling with everything that happened with Lane and the band last time we saw him. Yeah, also, I do want to say Brian is apparently not talking to him, which is delicious. Yeah, Brian's apparently not talking to him because he mentions that he his girlfriend broke up with him and his best friend's not talking to him and his band broke up. So, yeah, Brian's not speaking to him, which I wouldn't either if I was Brian. Mm-mm. And uh, so he's just in a bad mood. Um, the general framing device of this episode is that Stars Hollow is throwing their winter carnival, and, like, uh, Taylor got snowed out in his sister's place in Maine, so he can't run it by himself. Um, and so he gets Kirk to run it in his stead. So that's, like, kind of the the event that all of this eventually converges on. So um, at this event, Zach is kind of sort of spying on Lane. It's unclear if that's his sole purpose or he happens to see her and then just wants to see what she's up to but it seems a whole lot like he's stalking her which isn't a great look uh even for not as bad as some other stalking in the same episode no this is a stalking heavy episode um but anyway she or he sees lane (sighs) actually i got this out of order he sees mrs kim and she's talking to this other guy uh, Mrs. Kim specifically says, like, oh, yeah, Lane will be ready for you at eight or whatever. And so he thinks, oh, she's setting Lane up on dates, I guess. And he doesn't like this. So then later, Lane is running a booth that I guess her Seventh-day Adventist church is running that uh, is just a really, really easy ring toss game where the ring is gigantic and you just toss a little beanbag in. Uh, but so everybody wins a prize, but the prize appears to be a pamphlet that just talks about how you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Yeah. Um, which is actually delightful and on brand. So he sees Lane hanging out with this guy running this booth together. They're obviously like talking, laughing, having a good time. And then he ducks away to just go do like a, a bottle toss thing for a bit just to check out the other booths. And so Zach squares up next to this guy and gets weirdly hyper-competitive at Babette's milk bottle toss thing and starts, like, whipping the balls and knocking over, like, this other guy's milk bottles and starts shouting at him and just generally acting really alpha. And this guy's like, dude, I don't even know who you are. What's your problem? And he says, delightfully, he, he you know, throws three balls in a row and knocks out both sets of milk bottles and says, yeah, Welcome to the SH, bitch. Now, this is great for so many reasons. Because of the SH is stars hollow, right? And it's so a surface he, level. Surface level. It's just that Zach is shouting about welcome to the SH, bitch, about his small town in Connecticut. The extra layer of this is that this was happening. This, was, this episode probably actually aired around near the end of the OC's run. And or pretty late in the because the OC only ran for four seasons. So this this ran later in the OC's run. But that is obviously supposed to be a play on the OC when in that we watched the pilot episode for one of our uh, Gohan and Rory fund episodes where I believe the jock boyfriend I want to say in that show is named Luke says, welcome to the OC, bitch. In that and that just kind of became a, a, a meme about that show was the welcome to the OC bitch because that line is so ridiculous. So Zach is clearly supposed to be parodying that line from one of their competitors because Gilmore Girls and the OC were probably in similar demographics. But also, Dave left the show to go be on the OC. 
So, so, so there's, goodbye to the SH bitch? There's layers. There's layers to this shit. So I don't know. That just that tickled me. So then he goes, he walks off in a huff, and he goes over to Mrs. Kim and starts yelling at her about like, oh, yeah, you didn't wait at all. We've only been broken up for a couple weeks, and you immediately started trying to sell her off and marry her off to other guys, didn't you? And Mrs. Kim is like, yeah, oh. Yeah, I, I want to quote this line exactly because it's so gross on so many levels. You got her engaged already, is the line. Yeah. Uh, and Mrs. Kim is like, who are you talking about? And he's like, that guy over there is a like Korean Brad Pitt. And she says, no, that's her uncle. He's my younger brother. There's a large age gap between us. That's just Lane spending time with her uncle. Yeah. And he's embarrassed and she basically like, oh, I'm sorry. And he starts to walk away. But then the baffling thing that happens is that Mrs. Kim ducks out of the booth and is like, hey, I want to make one thing clear. I'm not going to get in your way. And he's like, oh, okay. And that's like the last we see of that. Uh, so I guess it really is not a Lane plot because Lane doesn't do anything in it. It's really a Zack plot, which makes it even worse. Yeah, no, uh, stalking and mothers interfering will be common themes here. Yeah, so that's the Zack plot, I guess it is. Uh, the Rory plot, I guess it's kind of two plots. Uh, the Rory and Paris plot is really quick, so I can get it out of the way. Uh, Rory's be- er, Paris is becoming even more like totalitarian and Nazi-ish about how she's running the paper. A bunch of the other senior editors are like, let's get rid of her. Rory's like, hey, let me try to talk to her first. I know she's ridiculous, but she's capable of being reasonable. Let me see if I can, let's see if we can resolve this diplomatically without having to leverage our board powers to basically remove her from office. So she starts to try to talk to Paris and be like, hey, you've made a board where people have to sign in to where they are at any given time. You're making people wear hats with their numbers on them so you don't have to remember names. This this is ridiculous. Let's Let's just... You know, the other staff members are getting restless. And so then Paris, of course, uses that as an excuse to be like, oh, Rory told me you're all meeting behind my back. And uh, it's another Paris plot that doesn't have to do with her fucked up upbringing, so nobody cares. Um, The Rory and Logan plot is more in-depth in this episode, and yet also still nobody cares. Uh, Rory is being showered in gifts. Every time she comes back to her apartment, there's flowers or fruit baskets or other kinds of lavish gifts. Logan hires the coffee cart to follow her around all day and just be her own personal barista. Uh, and she just keeps telling him to fuck off. Like she Yeah, like you say showered in gifts. Um, I'm going to say stalked. Oh, like, yeah. Well, it can this be both. Is not, there's no positive connotation to what's happening here because these are gifts she did not want, she did not ask for, and she's not interested in. Yes, it can be both. He is stalking her by way of showering her with gifts. I just want um, to take away any positive connotations these actions might have. And this isn't just like, I hate Logan, but like sometimes I see this displayed as a romantic thing he did, and it is not romantic at all. It's not what she wanted. No, it's, it's ignoring not what she wants. Romantic. It's creepy. It's super creepy. Like, when she has repeatedly told him she does not want to associate with him anymore... And yet he's still doing this. Like, she has made no as clear as possible, and he's not listening. Um, But, yeah, so eventually, the only time we actually, well, the first time we actually see him in this episode, he turns up at the inn and tries to talk to Lorelai, and is like, hey, I want to talk to you, and Lorelai's like, fuck off. Yeah, because then another fun uh, Gilmore Ballsy relationship tip, don't get your partner, or ex-partners, parent involved in your relationship yeah just don't, don't do, do that it. no don't do that especially don't expect it to help but really don't do that and don't like i don't care that their sister be- or like you know like sister mother daughter best friends don't get the sister or the best friend involved either yeah just don't don't don't, don't try do any to leverage this. your the person you're stalkings don't try to leverage your stalkies uh social circle against them that's not good also don't stalk Mm-mm. people to begin with so many lessons we can learn. Um, yeah, no, I, I I do want to make 100% clear here that everything Logan does in this episode, like everything Logan has done in the entire series, is deplorable. And um, not legal. Also, yeah, it's definitely crossed the point of I- illegality. Uh, it, 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 has, it has broached harassment long ago at this point. Um, so... 
but he does talk to Lorelai and she's like, fuck off. And he's like, nope, just give me a minute of your time. And she's like, okay, fuck off. And he's like, wait, I, I'm, I'm putting it all on the line here. I, I realize she doesn't want to talk to me, but I really care about her and I got to try everything. Even the stuff that I know isn't going to work, like talking to you. And yeah, uh, the line exactly. I wrote this one down too, because it was so creepy. It's so creepy. Everything is. I'm not giving up until I exhaust all my options. Right, is like, is like, like chaining her up in your basement an option? Yeah, no. Because like, that is technically one thing that he could do in this situation. Well, and even- Is that on his list of options? Short of that, like the options he's taken are still stalking. Like he is willing to stalk a girl if that gets her back and ignore when she says no. Like apparently one of the options is not- Giving her space and respect. <laughs> right? Like, if he just laid off for a couple weeks and let her have her space, then maybe or, he could approach her again and they could have an adult conversation about it. Yeah, no, uh, like, space is not an option. Respecting her wishes is not an option, apparently. A sincere apology that isn't just his whiny boy, I need you, I love you. Not Like, conversations that are not emotional manipulation are not options. Like, he's really limiting himself here to stalking. I hate him so much. I hate him so much. Uh, so, yeah, so he has this conversation. And then the rest of the scene with Lorelai is baffling because she's like, you, she's like, you're really headstrong. Or I don't even remember. She says something. And he's like, yeah, I got it from my dad. She's like, I hate your dad. And he's like, so do I. And then she laughs. And it's like, so wait, that is supposed to be enough to get her to pseudo cooperate? Because the next time we see Logan, it only gets more baffling. The next time we see Logan, he's once again outside Rory's apartment with a dozen Krispy Kremes. And she's like, please leave me the fuck alone. And he's like, wait, I have this letter from your mother. See, it's her handwriting. I want you to read it. She gave it to me. I don't know what it says. She told me not to read it, and I haven't. But she told me to give it to you. And for some reason, Rory entertains this. She reads the letter. To this day, like, we never find out what the letter says. But she relents and says, okay, fine. I'll let you take me out to dinner and we can talk. Which just, ah, there is nothing. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe we'll find out more in later episodes that'll help color this in. But as it stands, it's like aliens wrote this scene. Mm -hmm. It, nothing in that, nothing in either of Logan's scenes in this episode have like resemble how humans communicate or express their emotions whatsoever. Well, and even how emotional arcs go, because all we see is Rory hates him, Lorelai hates him, Rory, like Lorelai blames him for, for everything that's happened to Rory. Everything that's happened to Rory that's made her life horrible and robbed them of five months being together. And granted, some of that's Rory. She can take culpability for her own stuff, but Logan was at play. Yeah, and he, um, his whole thing is that he's been dragging her down this entire the entire time. Right, and Lorelai has seen it. She knows what's going on. And then him saying that he hates his dad is enough for her to say that Rory should give her another chance, or him another chance. And then Rory reading whatever is in this letter that we're not told about is supposed to be enough for her to relent when this guy is stalking her? Okay. Yeah, none of it makes any sense, and I hate it. Um, I don't like it. That's the Rory plot. So the Lorelai and Luke plot is what's really important. Luke has his first meeting with April where they just sit at a park and they talk for a little bit and Luke makes it very clear he does not understand children. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. This didn't really work out. But like, what do you want to do? What do you like? Like, let, like, next time let's plan something that'll be fun for you. And she's like, honestly, I'd be happy to just sit around at the diner. Like, that'd be fun. See where you work, get to hang out at a diner, watch the people. It'd be fun. And he's like, okay, that's weird, but sure. Uh, and... He, we have to give, we have to give Luke a little credit here. Uh, he tries to talk to Lorelai. Not very uh, hard, but he does try. Well, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick up for Luke in this episode. Not anything up to this point. But Luke in this episode, at the very least Luke in that scene. Yeah. I can stick up for. Uh, but I, but I suppose I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a short scene where he tries to weasel out of it with Anna because he's worried that Lorelai's gonna come into the diner and he'll have an awkward situation on his hands. And Anna uh, reasonably tells him, like, no, you're either going to do this or you're not. 
if you're going to be the kind of person who promises my daughter that you're going to do something and then backs out, this isn't going to happen. And he's like, okay, fine. I do want to point out real quick, it's super weird because she calls him right after April gets back. She says something about, oh, she has all of her arms and legs, haha. And then, like, when he doesn't feel comfortable bringing his new daughter to his close-knit small town and dealing with that the next day, like, literally the next day, then she says, oh, like, she bullies him with, you wanted this, I wasn't the one who pushed this on you, and makes him push his boundaries of what he's comfortable with. It's really weird. See, I would agree, except that he promised his daughter he would do this. Did he say tomorrow, though? Because I might have missed that. Okay. He did say tomorrow. That's the stupidest thing. And he... That's, I mean, then then it's fair to give Anna credit, but it's a stupid construction for a scene. It is a stupid construction for a scene, but he did tell her tomorrow, and he tried to weasel out of it by way of Anna. It's Instead true. of just telling April, hey, I'm sorry, I know we said we'd do this, but tomorrow's not good for me. Can we do another day? Right. You could right. say, could we do it next week? It was really stupid. Moving on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was really dumb. But he realizes, like, okay, the walls have, have, have I've run out of runway on this. I need to talk to Lorelai about it. And so he does call her and is like, hey, could we meet up at the diner at some point? I need to talk to you about something. And she's like, oh, I can't. I'm busy with a bunch of other stuff. I'm not going to be into the diner today. I'm sorry, but we can talk tonight. And he's like, okay, perfect. April will come to the diner. We'll hang out. She'll go home. Laurel, I'll come by later that night. We'll talk about it. We'll get it sorted out. But then stuff happens. Laurel, I ends up popping into the diner while April is refilling the salt and pepper shakers because that's her idea of fun, Um, which actually is rather charming. Lorelai just like comes in and sees this random 12 year old refilling all the salt and pepper shakers and is like, hey, are you like, are you like Caesar's kid or something? Which you think Lorelai would know if Caesar had a 12 year old daughter, but I don't know, maybe a niece or something or a cousin or something. Does Lorelai Gilmore talk to the help in someone else's establishment? I would say Lorelai. Lorelai probably knows at least some cursory things about Caesar. I mean, she knows her employees at the inn really well. We've yeah, established, and she that, obviously like, like she obviously likes Caesar. I would think she would at least know if Caesar had a kid. Yeah, it's just the amount of Caesar we don't see is very weird in this series. It is, but we're we're led to believe that Caesar has been part of the establishment for as long as anybody can yeah. remember. I'm sure she knows about Caesar's life, but anyway, yeah, but anyway, uh, and April's like, no, my father's actually the owner here, and Laurel's like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, And so that's how she finds out. And so Luke yanks her out of there and like tries to talk to her. And she's like, you've known about this for two months. You didn't tell me. Big fight. Blow up. Blah, blah. Uh, You know how the rest of that scene goes. Uh, So the episode ends with them having taken a little time to cool off at this winter festival. They talk again. And he's like, I'm sorry. I was just really confused. I wasn't sure how to handle it. You had all your stuff going on with Rory. Except he doesn't actually mention that she had all her stuff going on with Rory, even though that is, like, the one legitimate reason he had for putting off talking about it. Yep. And he's like, it's just a lot to take in because we got the wedding coming up and this and that, and it was just, it's a lot. And Lorelai's like, oh, I didn't realize the wedding was a problem. He's like, oh, no, it's not a problem. It's just that it's so soon. It's stressful. And she's like, oh, well, we could postpone it, I guess. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, that'd be great. And, like, all of Luke's emotional intelligence, like, Luke's brain falls out of his head during that scene. And all of his emotional intelligence drains out because he's like, oh, great. Everything's great. Now we're postponing the wedding. And kisses her. Like, let's go back to my place later and have sex. Yeah, it's not even like, hey, we needed to post. Like, it's not even him saying, hey, we needed to postpone the wedding when you were figuring out things with your kid. Now that this has come up, would you mind waiting until we figure this out it's just kind of like well it's so much with the wedding yeah he just like pussyfoots around it to like get her to bring it up so he can go oh wow thanks babe which just like is so not luke no like i know luke has trouble talking about his emotions but he's also a relatively straight shooter yep so that's just like oh stuff just didn't fit for luke at all and he doesn't seem to notice that she's obviously really upset about it he's just like thanks babe that's great let's fuck later and she's like yeah great and she's like obviously hurt that 
he is trying to postpone the wedding. And that's what happened on Gilmore Girls this week. Yep. What happened on Dragon Ball Z Kai? A lot of things. Um, And yet, not that much. And yet, not that much. Uh, I will say it now, the Gohan plot did not move forward at all. No, he had a, like, five-second cameo at the end, just so we remembered he existed. Yep, so as we left off at the end of last episode... Boo and Bobbity were going to be destroying West City and the capsule compound. So instead of like, oh, sorry. So Goku at first is like, well, that's not a big deal. We can wish everyone back with the Dragon Balls. And Bulma was like, well, they'll destroy the whole city. We can wish the city back. Well, the Dragon Balls are real tired and taking that and bringing that many people back will take a lot of energy. So... Oh, well, we can just wait a little bit. And the dragon radar is over there and Bulma can't remake it for some reason. So he's like, okay, here's my plan. And this is when we get the stupidest plan in Dragon Ball, which I don't say lightly. Instead of Goku, who has instant transmission that he can get in and out in seconds, dropping in, teleporting, Bulma's parents and the dragon radar immediately, and then going back to the watchtower easy peasy, uh, he sends Trunks, who Boo and Bobbity are currently searching for, and who the entire world is looking for him, to fly, and is a five-year-old boy with the attention span of a five-year-old boy, to fly from the watchtower to the capsule compound, pick up the stuff. You know, he could have sent Krillin, but no. Uh, pick up the stuff, and then come back. Meanwhile, Goku instant transmissions in to the face of Bobbity and Boo to talk to them and distract them while Trunks does this mission. It's a really terrible plan on a Not lot a of levels. Not a great plan. Not a great Not plan. Not a great plan. Uh, but this is the plan we're going with. So Trunks is going to get the stuff and gets distracted halfway because he gets distracted by how powerful Goku is because Goku shows off that he's got Super Saiyan 2. And Trunks is like, oh boy, he's actually as strong as my dad. And it's kind of hard to explain this episode because so little is going on. Um, Goku points out the obvious, like, this is the first time really that we see Goku for a long time interacting with Boo, which is interesting uh, because they are at about the same intelligence level. Um, and Goku's a little bit smarter, but they're at the same emotional intelligence level, I think is a fairer thing to say. Um, Goku points out like, hey, Boo, you're super powerful. Why are you listening to Bobbity? And he almost breaks Boo out because Boo is like, yeah. But then he says in a classic Boo line, uh, let me see. Man seem like goody goody Boo hate that. Which way should Boo make you die? That's a line that a real human being wrote um, for the big villain of Dragon Ball. Like, the biggest villain so far in Dragon Ball Z Kai, and since the whole thing is called the Boo Saga, I'm guessing some form or another of Boo is what they're fighting for the rest of the series. So, um, man, seem like goody-goody Boo hate that. Um, then Goku says he can go to Super Saiyan 3. And I don't think they ever said Super Saiyan 2. They only up until this point said Beyond Super Saiyan. And I guess it's like, you know, they never called it World War 1 because they didn't have to until there was a World War 2. So now that there's a Super Saiyan 3, we are retroactively calling the other one Super Saiyan 2 instead of Beyond Super Saiyan. Yeah, I think like Goku kind of invents the Super Saiyan codification in this episode. Yeah, no, in order to pad out time, he decides to give Boo and Bobbity a little history lesson, which distracts Trunks and stops him midway. So for a bit there, Trunks is just sitting in the air watching this. Bobbity is also transmitting this to every human, so there are a lot of shots of just, like, skipping to other members of the Z Fighters who have their eyes closed. Uh, we also skip for a short bit to Mr. Satan, who is claiming he has to train real hard uh, so he can do this. Goku does actually offer at first, like, hey, if you want a better fight, you can let us train for a little bit and we'll come back and fight you. Uh, and thankfully, Bobbity's like, why would I want to do that? I'm not going to do that. A, it doesn't matter if you train, but also B, I can punch you right now. Uh, so this is Goku's solution instead. 
And he goes through Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan 2, which I really love Bobbity saying uh, that Super Saiyan 2 was set dressing and hardly a transformation. Because that is absolutely right. It's the same as Super Saiyan 1 with some lightning bolts around it. Yeah, and you wouldn't just be a little able sparky to the sparky. Difference. Little sparky sparky. Because, like, you can't really tell with Dragon Ball. Unless I was told otherwise, I would have never known that that was, like, a different form of Super Saiyan instead of them putting a super cool, like, geo- like atmospheric effect around it. Because they're guilty of having meteorological effects of any Super Saiyan form, kind of regardless of power level. So I do not hold myself accountable for not catching on right away that Lightning meant Super Saiyan 2, because it basically looks like Super Saiyan 1. Yeah, and... it's the kind of thing where, like, for the only time you can really, really tell the difference other than the sparks is with Gohan. Like, when Gohan changed to Super Saiyan 2 the first time back in the Cell Saga, his hair genuinely changed. Yeah. Because he had, like, the palm tree thing in Super Saiyan 1, and then it goes straight, straight up in 2. But then when Goku and Vegeta both unlocked Super Saiyan 2, they didn't bother to redesign their look for it, and so it does... It does make that one a sort of fuzzier line between the two forms. If your Super Saiyan trans, like transformation is discovering hair gel, it's not that impressive. But here he starts going to something higher, and Krillin, with his eyes closed, is like, "Is he? Is he bluffing?" But King Kai's like, "Oh no, not this thing! Do not do this thing!" Uh, it will burn all your energy, but also somehow burn Goku's time so he has less time available because he's using his energy. Um, which was a weird thing, but at this point, once again, there are those same meteorological features. There is an earthquake. There is wind rushing. Everybody on Earth feels this. Gohan all the way out at the Supreme Kai planet feels this. Goku is spiking energy like crazy. His hair gets longer, his face gets more angular, he's glowing, he has no eyebrows, and a deeper voice. This is the, like, we have Super Saiyan mullet edition now, and I hate it. It's pretty dumb looking. It's so bad looking. Also, uh, the 2001 A Space Odyssey Goku baby is back, because when we are doing this transformation, they go to, like, a black plane where a little baby naked Goku with a monkey's tail turns into an ape and then uh, this represents him going Super Saiyan on the inside, I guess. Um, It was a whole nine yards thing. And that's where this episode ended. We got Super Saiyan 3 Goku, whatever that means. It's very powerful, but obviously it's not going to be powerful enough to defeat Boo or else we'd have an end to this plot. But now we have to wait for the Z-Sword and we have to wait for Fusion. That was this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai. What did you think of Gilmore Girls? Uh... Uh... Okay, actually, here, let's. Now that we've gotten to this stage in the show, I think sometimes I'll ask uh, these questions differently. What man of Gilmore Girls are you most mad at this week? I mean, the answer is always Logan. That's fair. Like, okay, okay, okay. Power rankings, right? Yeah, power ranking. Zack, I feel like, is actually the most forgivable in this episode. That's relative. He does the least and doesn't break any laws. Like, like, okay, yes, he is a jerk, but still raw from getting broken up with, see your gr- your ex-girlfriend with another guy, get jealous. Like, that is something we can all relate to, even if we all would have handled it much better than Zack does in this episode. Yep. These are relatable emotions Zach is feeling. Next up is Luke. His way of dealing with them is bad. The emotions are understandable. Yes. Next up is Luke. Uh, Also a case of the emotions are understandable, but the way he handles it is bad. But it's in a much bigger, higher stakes situation, and the way he handles it is even more baffling. Well, and I am, like, I we glossed over it a little bit, but I'm frustrated that when he called Lorelai and said, do you have a minute? And she was like, yeah, I have a minute. He's like, can you come to the diner? And she's like, no, I'm really swamped at work. He didn't, like, he took an out of, oh, I guess you can't be at the diner, which felt really weirdly like a fairy, except that it's with his daughter instead of another woman. 
Like, he, yeah. could, he could get away with sneaking around instead of saying, hey, this is really important. I'm sorry, but could you let the maple syrup council wait for five minutes? Which, yes, was the reason she couldn't talk to him. Like, yeah, he, I'm, I'm not. He weaseled out very easily. I'm not clear why, uh, why Suki and Michelle couldn't handle that event on their own. Well, they possibly could have. I mean, Lorelai is doing point because she has no reason not to, and she usually does point for those events. But if Luke had said it's really important, she probably could have gotten them to take over for five minutes, but he didn't say he needed her to do that. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it that way, but he does take a lot of easy outs in this episode. It's really frustrating. And just like in general, I mean, I know this has been my complaint for a while now, but in this episode especially, Luke just didn't feel like Luke. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I mean, I already talked about that last conversation of him kind of pussyfooting around until like forcing Lorelai to be the one to bring up postponing the wedding so he can go, oh, well, if it's not too much trouble, like. Yeah. Like, that's just a really, uh, that's how I handle, like, you know, <laughs> you taking the cat to the vet, right? Like, that's that's how you handle things like that. It's still not even great to handle things like that that no. way. But, but. I love you, but I do not love the way you say maybe instead of saying no. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I understand. <laughs> I understand that this is a thing that I do, and so I don't have too much space to criticize Luke But you're for also it. not Luke. Like... I'm, one, I'm not Luke. And two, I, I would not, like... There's a difference between doing that for... Uh, could could you be the one to go get so-and-so from the airport versus postponing your wedding? Well, and also, I mean, I don't pull this card often, and I understand that it's TV, so emotional maturity is in flux. But, like... Luke is a man in his 40s. He should be able to handle this situation like an adult. And I know there are lots of adults who can't, but he's usually got more emotional maturity than that. Yeah, it was it was just this whole this whole Luke plot so far has been character assassination through and through. Like it just no, nothing has made sense in the way he's handled any of it except I guess the way that we progressed through him wanting to have a relationship with Ray, with uh, April made sense. Yeah. But his the way he's handled Lorelai in the situation has made no sense whatsoever. Uh, yep. And the reveal that it's been two months, it hasn't been that many episodes. Yeah. So, so like, that I think there was, was a, a winter break in the middle. There must have been. But that was a kind of a whammy on top of that of like, oh, it's been two months. I thought it had been like three weeks. Yeah. Which is still bad, but two months is a long time to keep a secret like that. And especially a lot when of they opportunities. Yeah, especially when they live together. Yeah. They live together. I refuse to believe there was no opportunity for him to bring that up in two months when they live together. They were around each other basically all the time. Well, and the problem is partially that they don't do a good job of explaining why Luke doesn't tell her. Yeah. But there could be a couple of reasonable reasons. Like, he doesn't know how she's going to react. He doesn't know how he wants to deal with it. He the doesn't Rory want thing to admit was that a it's good explanation real. for a little bit. And there was for a little bit, but then, like, they don't let us into his head at all. Because they have the one scene with Liz, but then after that, they don't have anything to, like, give us, like... Use Liz, use Anna, use Caesar. I don't care. Just tell me what Luke is thinking. Yeah, like, honestly, I would love the scene where Kirk picks up on the fact that he's bothered by mm -hmm. something and he quickly realizes that nobody takes anything Kirk says seriously anyway, so he can uh -huh. tell Kirk whatever. And if Kirk goes up to Laurel and is like, Luke has a daughter that he doesn't want to tell you about, she'd be like, okay, Kirk, and brush it off. And so he confides in Kirk because who the hell else? Like something. Like something. Like that there's there is both character potential, cleaning up your story, and comedy potential all on the table there that they just don't use. Which is really no. frustrating. Because you're right. It's just I don't understand what's going through Luke's head here. And I mm -hmm. suspect the writers don't either. Yeah. So yeah, everything with Luke is frustrating. I don't want to belabor it too much because we'll talk in circles for another ten minutes. Um, and uh, I kind of feel like we've also already said everything there is to say about the Logan stuff. Like, 
it's just he, creepy. It's just yeah, he's just he's being creepy. He's stalking her. He's not I mean, even if you take all of that out, he's just flat out not understanding. He's not reading the room whatsoever. Well, like he's not being a good boyfriend. Like if you want Gilmore yeah. Balsy relationship advice, if you want someone to take you back, they might not. But if they're going to, it's because you treat them like a person with emotions and don't repeat a version of the same behavior you've done before. Yeah, like, even if we take all of the creepiness out, right? Like, let's, okay, whatever. This takes place in the notebook universe where creepy shit is actually romantic. Great. Like, okay, fine. Everything he's doing is totally okay. It doesn't change the fact that it's just stupid. Yeah. Like... If we want to pretend everything he's doing is morally okay, it's still just a bad plan. Yeah. So he's a bad person. He's doesn't understand like emotional intelligence and he's just stupid. I Well, and also yeah, this doesn't work with Rory. Like, let's take the romantic sexual element out of it. What about if Emily was trying to make up to her by sending her all this crap? Yeah, it wouldn't work. No. He I so and, it's just proving he doesn't understand her as a person, so get back together with me. Yeah, I'm continuously... The bar keeps getting lower and lower for Logan, and he continues to not clear it. Well, and it would have been really cathartic for them to do all this stuff, and then for Rory to find a way to slam this all in his face and get her out of her life. Yeah, or, like... Get him out of her life. Like, Rory... I, I've been in Rory's corner for the last couple episodes, and then here mm-hmm. she just turns it around again. Yeah, watching her shut him down has been gratifying, but then having it all turn around for reasons that, once again, we don't get told? Yeah, no thoroughly explained reason. Just like, okay, I guess it. I guess you wore me down. Well, and just like something Lorelai said, but we have no mapping of what's in either. I'm so mad. And even if we get an explanation of what Lorelai said later, it's not going to be good enough. Like, there is no universe in which Lorelai would would reasonably say whatever she says that gets Rory. Like, every chain in, every link in this chain that led to this event makes no sense. Yeah. I just, I feel bad. I feel bad that so much of this season has just been us continuously dunking on every episode of this show. We don't want to do this. this I, do, is like, not I, I don't want this happy. to be a negative podcast. I don't want this to be like, hey, do you like Gilmore Girls? Well, listen to us shit all over it for an hour. Like, no, that's not what I want this show to be. But they're not giving me much to work with here. Everything is so bad right now. I... I'm really struggling to think of a single thing in this episode that was good. Yeah. I guess the maple syrup scene was fun. And and Taylor going incognito, pretending to be various different foreign people so that he doesn't get noticed at the carnival. Arguably Despite the insensitive. fact that everyone in town recognizes him. Yeah, arguably insensitive, but was amusing. Yeah, especially because at the end, Miss Patty's like, oh, I guess he's finally flipped his lid. Like... The kooky town stuff, weirdly, was the best part of this episode. Yeah. Everything involving the actual characters was just deeply, deeply upsetting. Yeah. Although, I will say the uh, the way it worked out was frustrating, but I personally enjoyed some of the Paris stuff. Uh, because when I did work for a school paper, we said no. But the editor-in-chief was very hardcore and definitely wanted to win all the awards. Uh, which is why she asked for our Google calendars so she knew when we were in class and when we could take a new story, which is not how it worked at our tiny college's tiny newspaper. But uh, I, I had I had some feelings for big board energy uh, when Paris pulled out her board and magnets because I think if, if our editor-in-chief that year could have done it, she would have. So yes, but this is just another fucking Paris oh, plot. Oh no, this is another Francie plot. I know. Right? Like, this is another... Paris this is... gets in Zakir, takes it out on Rory. Everyone thinks that Rory is her goon. Yeah, And then like... they turn against Rory, and then Paris has to be taken down by Rory, and then she gets her feelings hurt, and they fight. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is just yet another Paris plot that demonstrates the fact that Paris is the most interesting character on this show, and the Paladinos have no idea why Paris is an interesting character. Yes. 
This is like, oh, great. Just, uh, yeah, you said it. Like, why have we not had one single Paris plot in this entire series about her relationship with her parents? With her parents? Like, have her parents been mentioned at all lately? That is, that is where the juice is for Paris. and her Not her, since she got her accounts frozen. Yeah, like, so... I don't I don't care. I don't care about how Paris handles being editor in chief of the Yale whatever. Daily news. Sure. Like I don't I don't care. And I don't care about like oh the other editors think we need to take Paris down, but then Paris turns t- turns heel on Rory and makes her the scapegoat when Rory was obviously trying to actually make things better. And, oh, no, how's Rory going to handle this? I don't care. This is literally the exact same thing that happened back at Chilton. And, like, ah. And so now we're, we're in the second half of the season. Here comes the Paris plot that nobody gives a shit about and isn't what we actually want to see about Paris when she's been absent for most of the first half of this season. Like, yep. it's, I can't even get that upset about it because it's just what I've come to expect now. Yep. Every time. Every time. What did you think of this week's Dragon Ball Z Kai? I mean, it was an expositioned up of an episode. A little bit. Most of the episode was spent on Goku explaining that he's learned this thing called Super Saiyan 3 off camera, and it's super, super powerful. And it makes him ugly, and that's why he can beat up Boo. I don't... I'm frustrated by this stupid plan with Trunks that just, ex- like, seems to exist so things can get messed up. I'm confused why Bulma can't make another Dragon Ball radar. I don't... I would get more excited about Super Saiyan 2 if it looked cool, and that's a silly thing to admit, but it's true. If it looked cool, I would probably be more hyped, but because I'm not distracted by it looking cool, I'm kind of just frustrated about how we get a new Super Saiyan mode that... Goku apparently learned while he was dead. I know that was much more succinct than our Gilmore Girls rant, but... So... <sighs> so, I want I want to pick out the silver lining in this episode. Please do, because I would... Once again, I don't want to be negative. I want to see the silver lining. It's just hard sometimes. I, I Everything you said is true, right? The Frankly, I think you're letting the whole the dragon use too much energy thing off too easy. Because what one wish well, I mean, to bring like, back a couple people was so powerful that it actually used up two wishes? What? No, I don't think that it, like my understanding, it could be a little bit different, but my understanding was it doesn't use up two wishes. It uses up one wish, but you need four months for every wish. So you can't do two wishes in a row. So it's like one wish, then wait four months, then one wish, then wait four months. But that doesn't make any sense. If you used up four... If if you used up one wish, Mm -hmm. then there's two wishes left when it comes back. Right, but... Or it comes back with three wishes. I thought that, like, I thought this was, like, a timeshare deal where you could either get three at a time or you can get one every four months. Right, but then it it doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense. It would make more sense if they didn't put in that line about it takes too much power because that does not make sense. Yeah, and I, I don't remember, but I feel like that won't actually matter. Cool. Uh, so it just felt like a weird, a weird writing trap. Maybe it will matter later, but I don't remember it mattering. Um, so like that was dumb. Why can't Bulma build a new dragon radar? I don't know. Like she's she's a genius, and this is something she made when she was a teenager, and yeah. now she's like an adult who's way smarter and has way more experience. She could build that in a cave with a box of scraps. At this point, I'm convinced. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. And yes, Goku's plan is stupid. It would make way, way more sense for him to just pop down, hi, Dr. Briefs, grab the dragon radar, pop back up. He even has Dr. Brief's key, Dr. Brief's key signature to lock onto for instant transmission. All these things you're saying are true. But I want to strip away the plot mechanics for a minute, and I want to just talk about how Goku's characterized in this episode. Okay, that's fair. Because I actually think we got an interesting and emotionally intelligent Goku in this episode. That's fair. There's a really nice moment that you didn't mention because it doesn't really matter, but there's a really nice moment I want to highlight where, like, Goku lays out the plan, Trunks is like, okay, and he runs off, and Bulma just sort of wonders aloud, like, 
oh, I, I really, like, are you sure you can do this, Goku? I'm really worried about sending Trunks out on his own. And Goku walks up and he puts a hand on Bulma's shoulder and he says, he says something to the effect of, like, Bulma, you gotta believe in your kid, all right? He's yours and Vegeta's son. There is nothing he can't accomplish. Yeah. And she's like, thanks, Goku. That makes me feel really better. And, like, it's it's... It's nice to let Goku and Bulma have that little moment to interact because they don't really interact all that often. But they're very old friends. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget that they're each other's oldest friend. Like, they are. They are each other's oldest friend. The very beginning of Dragon Ball is Goku and Bulma meeting for the first time. Yeah. She shoots him in the face. It's great. Well, and there is another moment later in this episode where Goku is the first person that I can think of. I could be, I'm forgetting something, but that has addressed Boo like an equal. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Like, he also does that. Yeah. Like, so... So, like, yeah, there's that. But I want to stick on this Bulma moment, right? Where, for one, it's just nice to see them interact. But for two, he... He understands what Bulma needs. Mm-hmm. And what Bulma needs isn't just an empty, oh, it'll all work out, don't worry, right? Which is what Yamcha would do. Or it it doesn't even, he, she doesn't even need a like, hey, it'll be okay, I got this. No. Which would be what, like, that would make Krillin feel better, right? Yeah. Or, you know, just some of the other second tier Z fighters would probably feel better with Goku's on it. But he knows that the two things Bulma puts the most faith in are herself and Vegeta. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so what she needs to hear is like, look, you're awesome. You're one of the most awesome people I know. Vegeta had his issues, but he never gave up and he was awesome. And you two made a really awesome kid. I like he doesn't say it, but the implication of like, I've only known him for this long because he was dead for most of Trunks's life, but I've only known him for this long and I can tell he's really special. There's nothing he can't do. Like, I wish that scene dug deeper. I think that's my problem is like Dragon Ball occasionally and this episode gives us two, which is more than usual. And so you're right. That should be given proper credit. I think my problem is that it's afraid to sit in those moments. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just brushes that off as something that it feels like they don't think people will appreciate those moments. And so when, when we get them as a little treat for the writers, they have to push back very quickly and give something that's bigger and flashier and pushes that out of your memory. I mean, cause you're right. Those are two great moments that I barely touched on because I was so distracted by super Saiyan three. And I'm sure that was the point, not how it affected me. Cause it's negative, but on a positive side of like, oh, sure, we have these little character moments, but also wasn't Super Saiyan 3 dope. And like, Super Saiyan 3 was kind of dope. He caused an earthquake in like his own weather effects oh, by how he powered up. always cause their own weather effects. Right. But like, it is cool. But you're right in that the writing of this show doesn't always understand where the focus, like, it doesn't trust the audience Mm-hmm. to engage with the character moments, it feels like we always need the next flashy thing. Yeah. And so I wish they drilled down a little deeper in that moment because you could pull a lot out of that. You could pull out some of the stuff I was already talking about of Goku actually explaining why Trunks being Bulma and Vegeta's kid means he's unstoppable. But I would really love if in that moment he'd brought up future Trunks. Future Trunks would be a good option. The other good option would be, like, to bring up Gohan and how, like, what his experience has been as a father who's sending his kids out into danger. I mean, we've made a lot of jokes. A lot of people have made a lot of jokes about how Goku is a terrible father because he is in a lot of the series. And once again, he's making a kid take on the weight of the world, which isn't great. But, like, he has reasoning behind it and he's seen it work before and he's seen... I'm not going to, like, let's just say in the world of Dragon Ball where these are responsible parenting decisions, um, once again, stripping away all the problems, this is a world where that makes sense. But he has experienced the same feelings as a parent whose kid is going out into danger, and he's had to learn how to grapple with that. So how can he guide Bulma along the way here? 
But no, we don't get that. Yeah, like, there's so many ways that scene could have spun out. I would have really liked to see, like, hey, you met, you you know what your kid turns into. Like, you met his future self. You know he's not somebody to be trifled with. And, like, now... He's even stronger now than future Trunks was because he had training from Vegeta. Yeah, like... He got to know his father. Yeah, like, yeah. And, like, you, you made sure he had a future where he gets to know his father. And, like... Well- yeah, like, there are so many ways that Heck, that scene could have been pulled out. It's hard to do this without making it heavy, but she just lost her husband and saw Gohan die. She knows this is serious business. How is he, like, how does that affect how she deals with this? We don't know. Yeah, so there's just, there's a lot. There was there's more going on with Goku in this episode. And even in the Boo, I think it has the same problem where it's really cool to see Goku try to engage with Boo on the same level. Because Goku, in his best interpretations, is a goofy, silly guy who loves to fight, but when he needs to, he can really pull it together. He can focus on the battle. He can be emotionally intelligent. He can be a good leader. And I like seeing him turn those traits towards Boo. Like, he's engaging with him on his level using Goku's own goofiness, but also using his emotional intelligence and leadership traits and saying, hey, why are you making the decisions you're making? You don't have to make them. And then they just kind of toss it out the window with the boo think you're a goody two-shoes, boo don't like you. And I get it. We're not going to get, you know... (sighs) Boo turning into a philosopher who's questioning the minds of men and why he does what he does. But I would have liked them to dig into that for a minute. Like, give us something where Goku really thinks he's getting through to Boo. And then there's concrete kid logic of why it doesn't fall through. Not just Boo don't like goody two-shoes. Which felt so lazy. Yeah, I think that... They were doing better work with Goku, but they were setting him against Boo. Yeah, and I think that the point of that moment is to show that, like, Boo is capable of, or, like, Boo is still not happy with his arrangement, which has been established, but they're reminding us that Boo isn't happy with his arrangement. And that he has too short of an attention span to do anything about it. Yeah, he's not quite ready to do anything about it yet. Um, I think that... I think that, like, you make the great point that that's Goku being emotionally intelligent. But I think the other thing is that that is Goku being tactically intelligent. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, it doesn't work because Boo is too stupid for that tactic to work. But tactically, that's a great gambit. Because that yeah. puts, if if Boo was more intelligent, if this was Deboro we're talking about instead of Boo, yeah. right? That puts Bobbity into checkmate. Yeah. Because what are Bobbity's options? Bobbity's options are do nothing. Or put Boo back in the ball. Yeah, do nothing, and Boo flips out and kills him. Or put Boo back in the ball, at which point now he's defenseless and Goku can beat the shit out of him. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Boo is just not quite, doesn't quite have enough mental capacity to comprehend his situation right now so it doesn't quite work out that way but that's a smart gambit on goku's part of like here you go bobbity it's on you do something yeah and i thought that was kind of cool like i don't i I, those things do not erase the very real things you point out for why this episode was not (laughs) the most entertaining but i do think they deserve being called out and being given some credit yeah, I just wish both of them had dug a little deeper instead of skimming off and skipping off somewhere else very quickly. Honestly, like watching through the Boo Saga now, going into this, my perspective has been that the Boo Saga is kind of blah and not really worth it. Going into it and watching it again now, I can see how actually there is a lot of potential in this story. Mm-hmm. It's just not... Even more so than previous arcs of Dragon Ball that don't quite live up to their potential. This one, I think, has the most gap between its potential and where it's at. There's really cool ideas at play here, but Toriyama... You can just tell Toriyama's heart isn't quite in it in this story arc. Yeah. 
Well, and it, like, it gets in it for a second, and then it drops out. Yeah. Even, like, I mean, Vegeta's plot line, yes, but even, like, going to Super Saiyan 3, a lot of care obviously went into making that be cool. And I don't know if that's something Toriyama pushed for, or that, you know, other people gave him producer pressure to make another version of Super Saiyan 3 to make toys. I know that's what it would be in America, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it is there. But... He did take the time and energy to make it cool, but it's just, it's so spotty when it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any questions about Gilmore Girls? Um, this is kind of a dumb question, but I also feel like it does point out something here. So Paris okay. is bored, right? Right. It has columns for your status and it has rows for the people. So why does it need color-coded magnets? That's a great question. You'll need one magnet for each person that they move around based on where they're at. Yep. It makes the system more confusing to use, which normally whatever, who cares, is a dumb nitpick. But I feel like that's out of character for Paris to make something with such an obvious flaw. Yeah. Although I guess part of the point of this episode is that Paris is spreading herself too thin. So not only is she being super controlling of the paper, but the paper's quality is falling as a result. Yeah. But if that was intentional, then I feel like that's untapped comedy potential they could have gone for. Because I would have loved to see the version of this where at the end Rory's like, like Paris is like, what? No, the quality isn't going down. The paper's better than it's ever been. And Rory's like, but Paris... Why do you have color-coded magnets on your board? You only need one magnet per person. And then just like, that's Paris's mind break. And that's her moment of epiphany and breakdown that she has been doing things incorrectly. Like, that could oh, that be funny. Oh, that would be fantastic. That could be funny, but no. We just get another dumb Paris plot. Um, yep. What is it with shitty men and, fl- and showering the Gilmore girls with flowers? I don't know. Because Max did that too. I mean, it's really that they think they can buy their love instead of actually being half-decent human beings. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have any other questions other than just the usual why that surrounds all the men of this show, but we've already talked that to death. Do you have questions about Dragon Ball? Yeah, I've got a couple. One part of this episode, they're trying to figure out a way to combine the wishes into one big wish with the Dragon Balls. Why doesn't Bulma have a lawyer on retainer, uh, partially for her patents, but also just to make Dragon Ball wishes? You know, you'd think that's something they would invest in because there are uh, there are some actually f- really funny cases of the one wish or like, you know, the, the it's only one wish from the Dragon Balls. In the original Dragon Ball, there is a period where uh, Master Roshi and Chiaotzu are both dead. And... Right. Uh, and I think, I think Krillin also, I think all three of them are dead at the same time. I might be remembering that wrong. Uh, OG oh, Dragon Ball fans. if it was fans. just Roshi and, uh, Oolong, then you can say, bring back my pig friends. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so OG Dragon Ball fans don't roast me if I'm wrong on that, but I believe it's those three. And so the wish that they use is just great dragon. Please bring Krillin back to life and master Roshi and Shoutsu as well. Mm. And so, like, can you just can you just keep cramming more wishes onto the end of your wish as long as you make it a run-on sentence? Yeah, this is not the "I wish my grand or my mother could see her grandson" wish. There's no good answer to that, really. The Dragon Balls are just one of the many things in this franchise where the way they work fluctuates based on the needs of the story. Uh, that whole "you can only spend 48 hours in the hyperbolic time chamber" thing just goes plumb out the fucking window pretty soon. Uh, speaking of things that work, how the series determines that they should work, is Goku's time left on Earth 24 hours, or is it tied to how much energy he has in reserve? It seems like it is an energy... It seems like, and I think they actually explain this later, but they might not. This might just be retconning that has entered the cultural consciousness. Okay. But basically, uh, it's 24 hours, but it's because that is the energy that has been summoned to bring him to the material plane. When he goes Super Saiyan 3, that actually is stretching the bounds of what his physical body is capable of, so he has to tap into that spiritual energy to power the form. Gotcha. Normally, as a mortal, he doesn't, like, you know, eventually Goku is going to come back to life, shocker. 
And as a mortal, he doesn't tend to use Super Saiyan 3 a whole lot because it eats up so much energy that it's actually not a very efficient way to fight. It, right, you so know, kind of like when they they went past Super Saiyan before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so kind of like the it's kind of like the Roid Rage Super Saiyan form that they did, except it is really really good at fighting. It just burns through energy way too fast to be viable for a prolonged battle. Right. So it's something he generally only does when he's dead, because then he has that spiritual energy to tap into because he doesn't really have the limits of a normal body. Right. Uh, that is why his other Super Saiyan forms don't burn up his timer, but Super Saiyan 3 burns it relatively quickly. Gotcha. Uh, who do you want to swap this week? This week, I want to swap Goku and Logan. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Logan... This is a situation Logan could actually be helpful with, because... Sh- yeah, he could just keep feeding Boo. Yeah, exactly. Showering Rory Gilmore with food and gifts... Not gonna work. Showering Majin Buu with food and gifts? Beautiful. That would Does actually... Does know about donuts? Yeah, give Boo donuts. Give Boo his own, like, buy out a fucking bakery and be like, hey, Boo, you can have all of the sweets you want as long as you don't hurt anybody here. And he's like, yay, Boo, like candy! And then Boo would just sit there and stuff his face with cake. That would keep Boo busy for a while. That would buy plenty of time for Goten and Trunks to learn fusion and, like, train, power up. Like, that would give the the Z Fighters tons of time to make plans and backup plans and backup backup plans for how to fight Boo. Like, this is a situation that Logan would actually be able to help in. And if he doesn't, he gets destroyed by Boo. Win-win. Whereas, I feel like Goku is kind of what the Gilmore Girls need right now. Like, a nice man with a degree of emotional intelligence than either higher than either of their boyfriends right now. Rory, Rory, I think Rory especially, but both Rory and Lorelai, they need a himbo right now. They need a himbo. And They're holding who, out for a himbo till the end of the night. And he's, he's got to be dumb. He's, he's got to be, be strong. And he's got to be really, real nice. And who, who is buffer and dumber than Goku? It's true. Son Goku is the ultimate himbo, and he is what they both need right now. I feel like he would sit and he would listen to their problems. He would... And again, we see a degree of emotional intelligence in how he handles Bulma in this episode. Like, he wouldn't fix their problems, but he wouldn't try to. He would just explain to them how, like, look, I know that the way that Luke handled this is not great, But you know, Lorelai, you're one of the most driven women I know, and you and Luke have been through so much, I'm sure the two of you can work this out. If you just talk to each other like adults. I don't know if he'd add that last part. He might not add that last part. He might not not be that specific in his encouragement, but he would be encouraging. And honestly, I kind of feel like Goku's the friend that Luke needs right now, too. Yeah. I think Goku would be a good sounding board for a lot of these problems. Because Goku understands what it's like to be like, oh, right, I have a kid who's super smart. How do I handle that? I think that that would work out really, really well. Like, Goku would be right at home in Star's Hollow right now. Oh, absolutely. I have a much simpler swap that is for less deep reasons. Okay. On this, in this episode, when Goku's leaving, he pats Goten on the head and says he's a good boy. <laughs> kind of out of nowhere, he just goes, you're a good boy, Goten. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, so I'm swapping him with Paul Anka the dog. They're both good boys. They're both good boys. Uh, Paul Anka the dog tells fortunes by patting his paw against things. And so we could just let Goten go to a carnival. Once again, the classic let the little children be little children Gilmore Girls swap. And really, if everyone's depressed on the watchtower, you need a puppy. And it would probably be easier to get the briefs up there if you told him there was a dog on the watchtower and they could go pet the puppy. It's true. They do love their animals. They do love their generic animals. Yeah, man, let, like, ugh. Let Videl pet a dog right now. She's had a right? day. She's had right? a day. And meanwhile, on Earth, people are hitting on her dad. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about a uh, thirsty Mr. Satan groupie. <laughs> There's just a random groupie at Mr. Satan's little rally or whatever press conference he's doing. He just goes, Mary! 
Like, so, like, she's not necessarily thirsty for sex. She's thirsty for commitment. And those fat stacks of cash probably are a good bonus. Probably also a good bonus. Well, thank you for listening to Gilmore Ball Z. We don't need fat stacks of cash, but we'd love to hear from you on our social media. That's where the true riches are. Our Facebook is Gilmore Ball Z. Our Twitter is at Gilmore Ball Z. Our email is Gilmore Ball Z at gmail.com. And our WordPress is Gilmore Ball Z WordPress.com, where you can leave comments on any of our episodes and find all of our bonus episodes. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Saturday. So, how many of the brief's pets will they try to bring to the lookout? What are Emily and Richard up to? Did she buy that plane? And will Zack's impotent rage be enough for him to attain Super Douchebag 3? Find out next time on Gilmore Ball Z.